side by side. We're standing side by side. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Listen Well, a Lovewell podcast. The Lovewell Institute for the Creative Arts is an arts education not-for-profit where students from around the world have been conceiving, writing, and performing original full-length musicals since 1989. It's October, Lovewell community, and it's a very special October because not only is it the most terrifyingly fun month of the year, it's also the month where Lovewell celebrates its 30th birthday. We hope that you'll join the countless Lovewell lights from around the globe coming to South Florida at the end of this month to celebrate our birthday on October 25th, 26th, and 27th. Head to www.lovewell.org for more info about all three birthday events. We hope to see you there. Tonight, we're back with another episode in our Lovewell Spotlight series, where we sit down to bring you long-form interviews with legends in the Lovewell community. The interviews focus on the artists' past, present, and future, exploring the role the Lovewell method has played in their development as an artist, but also how their own artistry has helped develop the Lovewell method over the years. On September 12, 2019, we sat down with the new director of the Lovewell Catalog, Jamie Johnson, to talk about her past, present, and future as an artist, educator, and Lovewellite. Jamie has been hard at work getting some of the most beloved shows in the Lovewell canon into our catalog and into the hands of worthy students around the globe. In fact, the latest catalog show, Dear Berlin, A Musical Breakthrough, originally written by the students and staff of Lovewell Fort Lauderdale Teen Session 1 back in 2013, has already been performed by the students at NSU University School here in South Florida. Now, please make sure your seatbelts are fastened because otherwise this conversation will knock you right on the floor. Let's head on over to Lovewell HQ and hop into our time machine for our interview with Jamie Johnson. All right. Thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us on... Is this your first episode of Listen Well? This is my first inaugural number one episode. I'm excited. Finally. Well, we waited 28 episodes um, <laughs> to uh, let you out of the cage, and we're glad that you're here. Yeah. Uh, I told you I'd be asking some hard-hitting questions uh, over the course of this interview, and I want to start with the hardest-hitting question right. of all, and that's, are you caught up on Bachelor in Paradise? <laughs> this is a great question. I have, <laughs> I'm caught up. I watched the Monday episode, but not the, um, not the Tuesday yet, but I keep getting spoilers everywhere so i'm like they're everywhere yeah it's hard to do to do anything but it's a marathon man these episodes they're so long it is the longest two hours of my life and it happens twice a week i've never watched any show twice a week and how and somehow i'm doing this it's driving me nuts yeah and then if you try to talk to people about it who don't watch it then you know there's a lot of questions there's a lot of like wow that just doesn't seem like something you'd watch and you know frankly i just don't tell people i watch it anymore because <laughs> i don't want to have a conversation 
<laughs> well, this the secret's out um, to all uh, you know twelve of our listeners now, so uh, you won't be able to hide anymore. And this is a spoiler zone, so we're just going to let that be that. But uh, just what are your thoughts? No, you know, knowing that you haven't seen the most recent episode, where do you think it's all going to end next Tuesday on the on the finale? I think there's going to be some twists and turns, you know, there always, there always are. I'm always a little more pro the people who are like, I'm not going to propose, but let's like go on dates in the real world. And I think that that's cool. So I get anxious for the proposals. They just fill me with anxiety, but I watch it anyway. The the biggest thing I've been wrestling with is, is not the romance on the beach. It's the timeline on the beach, because as far as I can tell, they've either been there for three years or three days on that beach. (laughs) I have no idea. It's so true. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm not, I really can't, I don't know if I can trust myself. They have some, they have a really like crack team of editors and I know I'm being manipulated and I love it. So uh, on the spirit of uh, paradise, how has life been recently? Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Um, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your summer and what you've been up to since then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Speaking of paradise, gosh, let me tell you. About <laughs> my life. Um, wow. Well, it was kind of a busy summer. You know, I know you as a former, former uh, educator, full-time educator, uh, you yep. know, that the school year is definitely a marathon uh, and not a sprint and you get to the end and it's like, I don't know, someone just like pushes your lifeless body over, over the finish line. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so the school year ended, it was a great year. And then I kind of moved into doing some love well stuff like right after that. Um, I normally do some kind of program in the summer, whether it's, um, going to Sweden or I've done the, uh, Kansas program recently in the last couple of years, I usually do a little something. Um, but I started out getting ready for the international thespian, uh, festival. I always want to call it a conference. It is not a conference anymore. <laughs> festival. We're celebrating. Yeah. It's a celebration, not a like series. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was getting ready for that, and then going and getting to represent Lovewell at the at the Thespian Festival, um, which was interesting. You've done this too, right? You've gone to the, to the festival. Yeah, so we've I've done the the Florida Festival quite often as a student, and then as an educator, and then now as a Lovewell representative. Uh, I imagine it's a little different at the national level. Uh, what was it like for you at that festival? Yeah, I mean, I I'm guessing it's probably fairly fairly similar. I I mean, you probably you did too. I guess you just said that, but I did thespians in in high school. I was a thespian, and you know, did the did the whole thing. But being there as an adult is a little bit different. I took kids from my school one year, and I I thought the whole thing was like. <laughs> super overwhelming. Uh, it, was, it was a lot. It was just a lot. Um, but it, but fun, you know. And then the kids kids love it. So being at the at the uh, international thespian festival, which is in glamorous cosmopolitan uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> if you've never been. You you gotta go. Um, it was. I mean, it was really similar. Just you know, kind of ramped up on on like a slightly larger scale. But we Lovell has a booth uh, at the festival, just like we do in Florida and some other places too. So we have merchandise. We had, you know, we were talking about the catalog a little bit this year, trying to touch some teachers, which was cool. Um, but yeah, lots of merch, lots of kids. We were 
<laughs> we were in the room where they also had all the college representatives. So if you've never been with like kids audition, you know, and they do the, they do like, um, they come in and they look for like, you know, what, what schools they made. So because we were, <laughs> the level table was in the college room, there were tons of people in there, but most of them were like looking for their callbacks and stuff. So <laughs> it was like in this really small room, you know, the booths are really close together and kids were like running in and trying to see if they made callbacks and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so lots of traffic, um, some people kind of doing their own thing, but then as the week went on, like, it's not just a weekend, it's the whole, like a whole week, which is insane. We got more adults and, and then got to see more kids. So yeah, it was just, it was so much talking. It yes. was so much talking. <laughs> Did you, you find yourself, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but like, I mean, it is, I couldn't believe how exhausting it was. It's, it's grueling. And, and, and you're on these, you're in this room with like a cement floor that has no give to it whatsoever. And you, you're just, your whole body is aching as thousands upon thousands of students and educators who are, you know, theater people. So they're already stressed to the gills as you just shove them in this one little space. And luckily everyone has something to say and has a thought to share, but it, it's grueling. It, it is, yeah. uh, it is certainly not like a, what I imagine uh, an adult sales conference is like where you just sit at your table and hope that nobody comes to talk to you. you there's a lot of stuff happening for yes. sure. Yeah. And you, I mean, you bring up such a good point. Like it really is relentless. And I did like start to feel like the like Lovewell bought like 3000. Like I just was kind of, there was a lot yes. of like repeating myself for new people. Um, and, and you know, you don't want it to sound that way. So you try to kind of mix it up. And I was there the first few days by myself just because of circumstantial things I wasn't supposed to be, but it just was the way it ended up. Um, and so it was like, even really being the only person there, it's like, you would just have to like reset, you know, and you kind of like are trying to read people's like social cues, like, okay, does this person still want to talk? Are they just trying to like get a, because we gave away those little level buttons, which are super yep. cool. Um, do they just want a button and then they want to like peace out? Like, you know, you're trying to like do all of that and talk and like engage people who are like, Ooh, I'm kind of interested, but I don't know. It's, it was wild. It was like, it was kind of an interesting experience, but on the, on the like super positive side, I feel like I got to meet some really awesome educators. I got to meet some really great students. Um, there's a lot of interest in what we're doing, you know, and I didn't feel like after kind of perusing the different offerings at the booths that there was, there was really nobody else there offering what we were offering, like specifically. There are people who do like little niche things that are that are kind of like one aspect or another of what we do, but I think we're unique and I think that we're pretty memorable. So having like little buttons, you know, any freebie is like catnip for anybody who who comes up. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> so it was it was fun. I felt like I got to have way more like um, like just fun conversations. I would say, I mean, the ratio is like really good on the side of people being happy and like wanting to talk and and hearing about something that you know if they'd never heard of Lovewell and this was their first experience it was it was fun to get to kind of see their excitement or amazement or to see um to see lovewell fans from all over the place i got to see um oh uh yeah some folks from ohio that i'd like i know their names but i'd never met them like that was really fun some of the extended family and i got to meet sam uh janvier's uh teacher his like no high school high school theater teacher, um, which was amazing. He just came up and was like, Hey, like, this is my name. And like, I'm connected to Sam and like, blah, blah, blah. And like level school. It like warmed my heart. It seriously like made my day and was one of the coolest things. Um, That's awesome. so yeah, 
yeah, it's fun to make those connections and to see the ripple effect that Lovewell has, has had and hopefully will continue to have. I'm really glad that you got to see some people from the community because certainly the best part about attending these festivals in Florida is that we get to see so many of the students from our community since there are so many of them down here who are involved in thespians. And that certainly makes the days a little easier uh, to bear. Fun. Yeah, and that was the first part of my summer was just going to this uh going to the festival and it was fun uh, and got to meet up with some other folks who were there too. Carrie came uh, closer to the end of the weekend, uh, which was, which was great. And then Nipe uh, was there with Chris Miller and Nathan Tyson working on uh, Dreamland there. You know, they are, yeah, Lovell alums and they were uh, commissioned to do uh, a show uh, to, they, they wrote a piece uh, about area 51 that was super cool. We got to watch the the reading and it was, and it was really fantastic. So that was kind of a tangential Lovewell thing that was happening um, all at the same time. So yeah, so very cool week all in all. Very, very good week. I love that Miller and Tyson caught that uh, area 51 craze right when they needed to the most, right oh. when everyone was, going viral about storming Area 51. Here's just this little Area 51 musical um, combining Midsummer Night's Dream. It was the perfect timing. Isn't that crazy? When I saw the headlines about that later, I was like, whoa, I, got, I mean, Lovewell seems to do that though, right? I mean, we can kind of track back over the years, the times that like there was a Lovewell show and it's like, oh, well, this was connected to something that ended up happening or that was happening around the same time. No, it's cool. So now that you've sort of, uh, you've gone from, you know, this, you went from getting pushed off that, that cliff, getting through the end of the school year to your summer and uh, getting to attend the festival, getting to help write a new musical in Sweden. Now that you're sort of back and settled home, what has this new routine been like for you as the, the director of the Lovewell catalog? What's, uh, walk us through sort of your average day, if you can. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, you know, the 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 grind is very different <laughs> than, than to, uh, you know to to do the the school grind and any you know if you're a student or if you're a teacher or if you just you know you kind of remember back to your school days like I mean the school day is notoriously unforgiving I mean it start you know school starts when it starts and yeah. like you know you, you gotta be there there there's no there's no two ways about it um I mean I yeah just to be I mean I loved being a teacher I absolutely loved it um. But, but it was certainly stressful in a lot of ways. So I think that one of the positives is that, um, you know, not only do I get to work full time on Love Well, which I think is the best bonus ever. Um, I, and I know you do too. And, and so many of us who, who work on it, like, you know, you care about it so much. It's something that's so meaningful. So it's like super freaking cool to get up every day and, and work on something that is, that is meaningful to you. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the other kind of cool part is, I like being able to kind of space out my work or, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, I was like, you know, when I work, cause I work, uh, primarily, you know, from home or like, or go like out to the library or someplace so I can just kind of get focused. Yep. It's kind of funny because I think like, well, you know, if you think in someone's typical work day, right. If you work from, I don't know, eight to five or whatever, if you really add up the amount of hours that you're like actually accomplishing something, you know, <laughs> you know interrupted or like something else, you know, something's like on fire, like, you know, metaphorically speaking, like, it's like, how many hours do you really work in a day? And I feel like you can get a lot done in a yes. concentrated time when you work on your own, you know? Um, and I like that. Although sometimes I'm like, man, I got to sit here, you know, I, I got to do like eight hours, but I'm like, God, eight hours of concentrated work. <laughs> like, you know, it's just not an equivalent. It's not an equivalency. So um, yeah, so that's been cool. It's been really fun to just dive back into the, just the world of Lovewell kind yeah. of 
full time. And I feel like I'm learning a lot. I feel like it's been cool, you know, Tyler to work with you and to get to kind of collaborate on some things and we've helped each other out with like some editing stuff, you know, yeah. both ways. And it's been, it's been really cool to get to do that. So yeah. And I feel like I can take care of my human body again, mm. which is like a whole other, <laughs> whole other thing. I yes. felt like teaching took some years off my, my life in terms of my health when I was teaching because there's just no time, you know, you're eating like, I don't know. I used to always joke about the funny lunches you eat as a teacher. Did you ever oh, eat yeah. just like weird stuff? Like, like stuff I would find. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to eat this like stale candy that I found. Like, oh my gosh, you're the sucker. I'm going to like just eat this sucker. And this is like my lunch until, <laughs> until I get home. <laughs> so yeah. So it's kind of nice to feel like, uh, like a, a person, you know, yeah. like a person who, you know, take care of yourself um, and get to kind of do things on your own time. So, yeah. So I think that there's, you know, there's challenges, I think, for anybody working from home on their own. But yeah. but it is, but at the end of the day, I think that the work that, that we get to do, you and I and, and Carrie and those of us who get to kind of work remotely, I think that like, you got to just kind of keep your eyes on the prize. Sometimes the day-to-day -day is like, oof, it's just like a lot of details or a lot of paperwork or a lot of just reading yep. and like assimilating and all that stuff. But I think that if you keep your eye on the big picture and like how it all fits together to kind of keep this, you know, organization that we love afloat and going and growing, I think that that's what kind of keeps you focused. Talk to us a little bit about your history as an educator. Um, how long were you teaching at your school? How did that come about? Uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about uh, what you were up to. My my path to teaching was definitely convoluted and kind of strange, and not one that I thought that I would <laughs> that I would take. But um, I in like 2011, I uh, graduated from uh, grad school. I mm -hmm. got a master's in theater with an emphasis in drama therapy. And I know there's like other folks in the level community that are into that and that do that too, which is so cool. Yeah. Um, and that was super cool. I loved my program. I loved what I was doing. But when I got done with school, I was kind of like, hmm, what's next? You know, mm -hmm. you can do practice and things like that. But I was, uh, I just didn't know. And I had some other kind of changes happening in my life during that time. So I was like, uh, I think I just need to like take a break because grad school had been pretty grueling. I commuted. I had like an hour commute each way and Oof, you know, yeah. for two years. So it was intense. So I was like, you know, I'm going to take a break. And I had a friend who was a high school teacher, actually Shannon Carriger, oh, yeah. who, Draper, yeah, who's a former Levelite um, and Level staff member. Uh, she taught at this high school in my town in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, and she was like, hey, you know what you should do? You should become a para, a para educator, meaning you work like for the special education department, help kids through daily tasks, things like that. Not really teaching per se, but like, you know, kind of like a teaching assistant basically. So I was like, this is great. I'm going to do this. And I could have insurance, you know, yes. we all just <laughs> you have to have health insurance. Yikes. Um, so anyway, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for like a semester and just kind of see what happens. Well, uh, some of my drama therapy work had been with students with disabilities and I worked in a classroom for students with autism and much to my shock, I loved it. Like mm. I loved my students. I loved my colleagues. I loved my school. I was like, man, this is like really cool. And so I ended up being a para along with doing some other stuff like freelance things and still doing level things, you know, in the summer and, mm -hmm. and like little directing projects and theater things on the side. But I was a para for almost three years, which is crazy when I think about it. Um, but I just loved, I loved my work. I just, I loved being there. I loved the kids. I loved getting to really spend time with them. And I had so much freedom. You know, I'd be like, hey, I have this idea. Like, let's do, I worked with the speech pathologist 
And she was like, hey, let's take a book and turn it into like, let's make like a, a film of it, you know, like, like, let's make our own little narrated version. And the book we did actually, which is kind of funny in the love world world was um, Tuck Everlasting. This <laughs> one we did. Uh, and it's still like totally one of the high points of like my working life. Um, I was super proud of that, of that project. You know, we had kids who were nonverbal and kids who were, um, you know, kids who had limited mobility, kids who were hard of hearing. Um, and we brought all of them together and did kind of a drama therapy, like tangential, you know, thing where we interpreted this book, which was super fun. So anyway, uh, as time went on, people were like, you should be a teacher. You should be a teacher. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I was like, nah, you know, there's no, pro you know, there was a drama teacher there, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she randomly. Certainly and any job that requires chanting on the behalf of people to try and get you to do it is, is worthwhile. <laughs> right. You got to think like, yeah, that's got to work in your mind a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. And so then, you know, one day the, the, it was like in May, the end of a school year, the drama teacher at Lawrence High was like, uh, oh, I'm surprised I'm retiring. Uh, she kind of made a last minute decision to retire. Um, and my friend's like, all right, this is it. You got to apply. You can do this program, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can like get your teaching certification because I did not have that. I did have mm -hmm. a master's degree, but I didn't have a teaching cert. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll try. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this job. Like my town's pretty small, but kind of a desirable town to live in because it's like a little liberal bastion in the middle of, you know, the, the bleak Midwest. Yes. Um, in terms of, you know, those kinds of things. So I was like, gosh, there's no way. But much to my shock, I got this job and I was hype and I was totally unprepared. And I was like, you know, I was just like, how is this even going to work? You know, you want something so long and then it happens and you're like, oh God, now I have to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I did. I was, I taught there for, for five years. This last school year was my last year. Um, and I loved it. I got to, I, I taught theater. I taught English. I, um, which was a whole other thing. Uh, <laughs> I, learned, I learned a ton, you know, I, I learned a ton. I met some of the most incredible students I think I've ever had in my life. Like, I don't know. I think we kind of end up where we're, where we're needed, I guess, maybe not like meant to be, because yeah. I don't know about like, I don't know meant to be what does that mean but like but I think that I think that needed. I was in a place where I be of service yeah where I was needed and where um and I needed the the students that I had and the colleagues that I had to you know I think that there was yeah we just grew a lot I brought a bunch of my students to Lovewell over a couple years got to get to bring some to Sweden and then um yeah and some of them came to came to Florida too and got to come down and do program there and and I loved it I adored it um it's just that it was difficult, yeah. you know, and anyone who's out there thinking like, I want to like teach or work in the world of theater, like, gosh, I would never discourage you from doing that. But I think your eyes kind of have to be open to the way that, to, to what it asks of you, you know, and, and being able to advocate for yourself and your program. And I don't know, I, I struggled a little bit toward the end of my, my teaching time with just feeling like I had so many responsibilities mm -hmm. that I couldn't anything to my full capability. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's it's, like, it's always the, you know, the teaching's never the hard part. It's all the other stuff that comes with it. Yes. Yes. And then like needing to learn as I went too, you know, like I, I think I have, I think I have a lot of skills and, and abilities, but there were still a lot of things I needed to learn. Um, there were so many things that I look back at my undergrad and like, and even in grad school, it's like, oh, I wish I would have paid more attention when they were telling us how to <laughs> decorative painting for sets like faux faux finishes and stuff because i'd yep. be like watching a youtube video at like two in the morning being like all right i think i can teach this tomorrow um 
yeah. Uh, but, but I think that there was a lot of growth. Gosh, I learned so much. I mean, we could have Tyler, you and I, and all the other people we know that teach, I'm sure we could have a oh, teaching yeah. class that would be <laughs> quite active. Uh, there's so, there's so much, uh, so I won't get into all that, but, but yeah, I loved it there. It was great. It was fantastic. It had its pluses and minuses, but the kids were just phenomenal. As someone who does have multiple talents and has experience in a variety of different forms, when when working with students, why make theater with them? Why do you feel like that is the art form that you keep finding yourself being drawn to um, when working with young people or when making work yourself? What about that form and your experience making it with young artists makes it this thing that you keep wanting to come back to? Tyler, that is an awesome question. Like I found myself like reflecting on that just as you were saying it. I was like, man, that's a a great question. Yeah, because you're right. We could do, I don't know, there's a million ways to work with kids for Mm -hmm. sure. But I found like every job I had um, from the time I was done with undergrad in, oh my gosh, 2000, yikes, uh, has been (laughs) some form of me trying to make theater part of the job, (laughs) whether it had anything to do with what the job was or not. And I've had a million jobs. Um, and so I guess that it's like one of those things where I think inspiration or passion or like, you know, the motivation we have for the work that we do, it kind of comes from a little bit of a compulsive place, I guess, where it's like, even if it's not part of my job description, you know, or part of what like they're asking me to do, you know, my brain's going to just turn toward that, toward that way, I guess, because I've seen, like, I know it works, you know, I mean, I guess, I don't know, I sound like a, (laughs) like a salesperson or something, but I'm like, Trust me, believe me. Yeah, I, I, we, I have results. Um, you know, we, we all do. And I think that theater is just, I think it's, I love that it's alive. I love that it is something that is, um, you know, there's lots of cool ways to integrate technology into it. And mm. I love technology. I'm not a technophobe at all. But I also think that it takes us back to, you know, our lizard brain, that part of ourselves that, you know, that we were like banging rocks together a million years ago. Like, I mean, we're born to tell stories and I think that we're born to communicate. And I think that I've seen firsthand, I know you probably have to, probably a lot of people have, you know, the, just the detriment of like, like what happens when we lose our communication skills. So basically it's, I mean, it's cheesy as this sounds. I mean, it's just, you know, it's another way to have a conversation. I mean, I think any art is a conversation, like, mm-hmm. um, you're open to it and you know, whether it's visual art or, you know, dance, whatever. But for me, theater has just always been what I was drawn to. It, it's, it taps into the, I think the most essential me that was me when I was like seven or eight years old, you know? And like, mm-hmm. I feel like my personality was forming. I was like, yeah, this is like, this is part of, this is part of me. And I know it's part of other people too. And it's fun to show them if they don't think that it's necessarily part of them, the different, the different ways, you know, the, the different, the different aspects of theater that are still theater, you know, like, uh, like it's not putting on a show. One of the reasons theater can be the most frustrating art form in the world is because uh, it can be anything that you want it to be. And that's also the most beautiful thing about it. It's anything and everything that you want that you need. And so when working with young people, uh, because, you know, like you said, there is such a variety of interests and things, well, this is the perfect place for all of that. Um, you don't have to be exceptional in any one thing to excel at theater. You can, you know, be good at a bunch of different stuff, or you can be inquisitive about a bunch of different stuff and you can find your way to making an impact, um, 
because it is a community. It is a team. It's not something you you venture out to do alone for the most part. Uh, so it is sort of yeah. that perfect um, breeding ground for creative uh, people. Most definitely. And I think that like being able to like, I don't know, I, I, I feel very connected. And as I get older, I think about this more. I don't know if you think about this, but like the older I get, the more I think like, of course I have changed over time. We all do. Um, but I am still, you know, there is still like a huge part of me. And if anybody knows me, you probably will be like, yes, this is true. Um, that is still very connected to like my eight-year-old self, yes. my nine-year-old self. You know, like there's that part is like unchanged, you know, like, like regardless of what changes in all these other parts of, of my life, like I, or my personality, like I still remember someone saying like, I see you like, oh, good idea. Or like, yeah, that's cool. Like, oh yeah, yeah, do that. You know? And I think theater was the place where that happened. And truly, I mean, and this is not even like, I don't know. I mean, I know this is a level thing, but truly level was a huge part of that when I was a teenager. Cause when we're young, I think that we don't always, I don't know. Some people are born with like wild confidence, I guess, yeah. but I, I was not. And, and I think that like, you know, being around people who said yes, that, that was so cool. And I love that as an adult, like getting to say yes to students yep. um, or, or getting to say yes, yes. And like, you know, let's do that, but let's also add this to it. Or like, this is how we can make that work. Or like, you know, and being pushed as you start to develop skills, like, I don't know, that's just the best yeah. to me. And, and I love when people, you know, students light up when you get to say yes. And when you get to, you know, see them grow. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's so rewarding. Totally. And I think that, you know, the reason that young people are drawn to theater is because it is that place where people say, I see you, I hear you, you're a part of this. And I think that what we do takes it a step further. It's, I see you, I hear you, and now I trust you to do this thing. And I think that that is what helps separate us from uh, a typical sort of theater program for younger people of no one's going to do it for you. Uh, we also trust you to get the thing done uh, and we need you yeah. to because none of us can get it done by ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And it's, it's so, it's so collaborative and it's just, and it's alive. And I love that. I love that anything can happen. I mean, it's terrifying, like as a, as a director or as an actor, actually as a director, I feel like I just let go of it, but like, you know, it's just, it is what it is. But but I think that it's so much fun that it's just, it's living and it's, and it's happening right in front of your eyes. I mean, that's, that's, that's magic. I love that. So speaking of Lovewell, uh, we know that you've had an extensive uh, history with, with Lovewell that expands <laughs> uh, to the beginnings of this organization, uh, but perhaps not all of our listeners do. Um, you are part of Lovewell's Mount Rushmore, but can you tell us your history uh, with Lovewell. How did you first hear about it? Where did you start doing it? Why did you keep doing it? Maybe just uh, walk us through that that whole uh, part of your Lovewell life. Yeah, that's so funny. Lovewell's Mount Rushmore. That's got to be our next project. We got to fundraise for that first. Sure. Done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lovewell, you know, I mean, the, the, the lore of Lovewell, I love that there's like, you know, lore of Lovewell now. Um, I grew up in Salina along with Carrie uh, Gilchrist, along with um, Nathan Tyson, Ryan McCall. I mean, there's so many others. There's a million others. Um, we all went to the same high school uh, and and started uh, doing Lovewell there. And Lovewell there took place at the community theater, which is still an amazing place that you got to see this summer. Yes, which I got to write a musical in this summer. It was the coolest feeling in the world to be in that space where you all did what you did. Uh, it's one of my most 
treasured experiences to get to have done done that in that space. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lovely it's a lovely space. Um, we worked there, and then we also we stayed though. Like the the dorms were at um, a military school, which is so hilarious. <laughs> but like we would all be like military school. Oh, lots of stories about that. Yeah. So my first show was my uh, coming out of my junior year of high school. I applied, and this was like this was back in the day where when you applied for Lovewell. You, I mean, you filled out the application, but you also had to turn in a portfolio um, of, of work. So whether it was like writing or whether it was like, you know, you had to like write a little bit about like why you wanted to do it. But you, because there was one program, right? There was a Salina program and there's kids who came from all over. I mean, like I that we're still friends with today and that are still involved today, but they came from, you know, all over the US and, and abroad. We had Swedish students come too. Um, and I remember turning in my application and like, I saw the show the year before I had seen Tribe and like Carrie was in it and some other people. And I was like, oh man, okay, I got to do this. I got to try it out. But I remember turning in my application and thinking, oh my gosh, I really hope I, I make it. Because at the time they couldn't accept everybody. There just wasn't enough staff. There wasn't enough, um, you know, it just wasn't possible. So it came down to your application. So I remember the agony of waiting and waiting for a freaking yes. Tyler, not even like, you know, <laughs> come through. Gosh, that just feels so like dinosaur, but like, yeah, but you mean they didn't have email back then? Oh my gosh, sit down. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so we're just, we're just waiting for this letter to come in. You know, I sent in my, you know, super questionable poetry and uh, some, other, some other stuff. And yeah, and I made it. I was so excited. And, um, you know, it was cool to do the programs in Sly. I did two shows in Salina um, before I went off to college. It was cool because I also worked with some students who were who went to my school and who went to the other high school too that like I knew but I had never really maybe worked with very much so it was kind of incredible to see like those relationships form and I know that I'm sure a lot of the Florida kids especially have this experience where you do love well with kids that you might know but you don't really know them um, and that was really meaningful and super cool you know to get to do a program with with some of those students and get to know them uh, yeah so so I did I did those. Uh, those shows, they were amazing. Changed my life for sure. So many, so many memories. I got my first speeding ticket at Lovewell. Uh, I mean, trying to get to Taco Bell, you know, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was necessary. Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, yeah, it was crazy. To, um, to quickly speak to, to that last point that you just made of getting to have those creative experiences with students you might have known, but not necessarily known well, or students that you might have crossed paths with, I, with I, I love that that is still very much alive in the Lovewell experience. Um, we see it in Fort Lauderdale all the time where all these students from these different uh, schools, and we have a wide variety of schools where students come from, uh, they see each other throughout the school year, but now it's a meaningful interaction because they know each other beyond just at competitions or at shows. There's that deeper relationship. And I saw it in my, my short time in Kansas these past two summers of students from these surrounding schools who, even though it's a very, very small, uh, much smaller communities than I'm used to down here, there's oh, yeah. still students who don't know each other who are now getting to interact with each other. And I love that that is still very much a part of what Lovewell is. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think that that's really key because I think it also does, you know, what we do at Lovewell I mean, it's, it's super cheesy, I know, but I, but I think it's, I think it bears out. Like, you know, we try to do in this little microcosm of, of love well, but we want to see in the world, right. Which is see people like, uh, try to understand each other, you know, like to, to listen, to actually listen and to see people's points of view and to be able to like, 
yeah, to be able to maybe like be open to the idea that people can change or that there's another side to this person that like maybe I thought I knew, but I didn't. Um, yeah. That's, that's truly incredible. And I, and I love that. I loved having that experience as a kid. I mean, it challenges you, you know, I mean, you, you get in your, your paradigm and, and, and it's hard sometimes to shake it out. But I think especially in, you know, you did those Kansas programs, some of the smaller, the smaller programs. I mean, living in those towns, they're, they take place in pretty small towns. Salina is Salina the biggest one? Probably so. And yeah, the, the, that's the, the biggest town we did it in for sure. But I mean, you're a little isolated, I think. And, you know, back in the day, back in the early mid 90s, I mean, you were super isolated. You know, it's like you, you only knew what you knew. So like, I can remember being a student in Salina and meeting, there were three girls that came from Key West, Florida to Salina freaking Kansas. And, <laughs> did love well. and like, Tyler, I cannot even tell you. I mean, these, I, I, some of the most formative experiences of my life were with these students that we met that were from, you know, Washington, DC, like Katie was mm-hmm. from DC, all these people from Key West that just had lived a life that like, I didn't know anything about, like that I had never experienced, that it had these experiences and done these things and they seemed so cool and cosmopolitan and like kind of exotic and like, I don't know, it just opens you up to other, to other ways of thinking and other ways of living, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And so after those, those first few years in Kansas, where, where else has Lovewell taken you? Yeah, I um well after that I did college and then in the summers I I worked like different jobs and things like that. So I had kind of a, a slight level hiatus for a while because I was working and doing some other stuff uh in the summers. And then when I came back in like 90 99 or 2000. I'm really glad I started thinking about this before I talked to you today, just by the way. Cuz <laughs> I was like, oh man, I'm not remember some dates or I'm just a, like, a lot of silence. <laughs> Yeah, I know. But while I try to like, yeah, get the little uh, hamsters in my brain. (laughs) Um, Yeah, in 2000, I believe it was, I came back to Lovewell to work uh, as a staff member. I mean, geez, Louise, I was still pretty young. I can't even believe I was a staff member at that age. It's like shocking. Um, But I remember going to the first one that I did was back was in was in the Keys, actually, Uh, was in Marathon, uh, Florida. Uh, and and uh, and Fort Lauderdale in that area I was going down and working those Florida programs, uh, and they were uh, the same in some ways, but also like super different uh, yeah. than they are than they are now. Um, so that was an education for sure <laughs> in in being in charge, in being an adult, in making decisions, like and in making some kind of like bad calls sometimes. You yeah. know, like I, there were times when things would happen, like kids have a lot of needs and I yeah. was still a kid myself, you know, and there was just so many times that we were kind of like, Oh, okay. We want to do the right thing here, but like, what do you do? So yeah, big learning, learning experience. And also a ton of fun. Like some of my favorite memories are those early, early staffing days. And then, so from the keys, we did workshops in Fort Lauderdale and then we've done workshops in Kansas and in Sweden. Wow. You've sort of, you've been everywhere that Lovewell has been if for the most part right that's where i want to go i've never been to oh i mean i've been to ohio like my human body's been in ohio but i've never done a level project in ohio um and i really would love to go there that's like that's a goal of mine i would love to either go see a show or just or to go like be a part of staff because that program seems so cool but yeah i i've um I've gotten to, yeah, do Sweden several times. We did a program in Riverside, California. I've done a program in Vegas. I've done lots of programs in Florida over the years, Kansas. Um, I did smaller versions, like very, very stripped down versions at my high school. We did three yep. like level style shows at my high school. Um, 
yeah, yeah, it's been cool. I've had lots of cool opportunities. Level's definitely opened a ton of doors um, for me. Well, for sure. I, I hope that uh, one day I can get you back here uh, with Michael Fink to talk about Lovewell Las Vegas. Uh, oh, because... That should be like a lost episode or like <laughs> something. Um, yeah, like maybe we need like some kind of Patreon or Just something. And then you can get the unadulterated get story. Of- the full details because there's no story <laughs> that Michael Fink tells more uh, that I like to hear as much. Than, than the story of Lovewell, Las Vegas. Uh, oh my is, gosh. I don't think that the time that he and I get together that we don't at some point just do a rundown. <laughs> we don't just for each other. Like, if no one else is around, like we love to roast Carrie and Nupay about it. So it's pretty- <laughs> yeah, and for everyone listening, everyone's fine. No one was hurt. Yeah, it's, all good. It's, all good. it's definitely, a, it's a comedy a comedy of errors for yes. sure. It's more of a funny, funny tale. The, and, show, the show was great. It all went well, but yeah, it was pretty hilarious. And so in all these different Lovewell experiences, and you know, this is always uh, the hardest question, but we you know what, what's a, a process or two that stands out to you um, from the crowd as being particularly memorable for you or special or, or challenging uh, or rewarding? Just one or two shows and, and processes that really stick with you. Yeah. Oh man. You know, this could be, you know, obviously for sure it's own it's own podcast for yeah. anybody who's ever played Lovewell. Uh, I would say the things that come to my mind the most are probably the process in which we wrote Daybreak is yep. one that really comes to mind. Um, and, you know, Sherry Spangler was reminding me this summer, we did Sweden, the Sweden program together. And she was reminding me, cause we were talking about the different ways that processes work and like the different sizes of Lovewell student groups mm-hmm. and staff how that has maybe like, you know, just impacted the way that it, it's just different. There's no like good or bad. It's just this is all its own beast. And she was talking about Daybreak. And in her memory, she's like, you know, I felt like Daybreak was a really big group of students, but that we were all somehow like kind of miraculously, like we got on the same page, like really, really fast. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like she was reminding me of some things that I, I hadn't really remembered and about that. And, you know, Carrie was talking to just some of the other folks who were involved. So, um, and she was a student, of course, so she had a different, a different viewpoint. So I think that like in remembering, I was like, yeah, that was, that was a show that was really special. We just like that idea came up for what Daybreak was going to be about. And people were just, um, yeah, really looped in. Maybe not every single person. I don't want to say that because someone will be like, um, excuse me, I did not love that idea. I'm but it, it was, okay. it was certainly uh, yeah. as someone who was in the audience, you know, I, I, I always refer back to it as sort of a, a game changing moment in the, the quality and the style of work. And it certainly didn't, you know, it doesn't come from the adults in the room being like, we're going to do a better job. It's, it's everyone making right. this, this agreement that we're going to be on the same page that we can take things uh, seriously, if we don't force things to be taken seriously yeah. and we just let things yeah. be what they, what they want to be. Uh, and I think it, it definitely changed, uh, level for the better, that process. Well, thanks for saying that. And I think that like, I think that we had a really special group of students that year. I mean, every group is special for sure in their own way, but like that was, that cast was filled with so many of the next generation of level staff members. Yes. I mean, just off the top of my head, I mean, it was like uh, Ryan Judah, like uh, Eric Flemons, um, uh, Jared, like, I mean, all these people who are in that show and there's so many more, I'm forgetting like a million people, but um 
you know what I mean? But it was, it was a special year. I think like, I guess if you think of level as moving through like generations or like kind of, you know, generations of, of, of people and, and, you know, rolling over to be staff again, it was, yeah, it was super special. That was one for sure. And I think the other one that comes to mind, I'll leave level Vegas out until we do our special <laughs> one. Um, but probably the program that we did in Riverside, California, which was also an older one from like a zillion years ago. Um, it was kind of a pilot program out there. You know, somebody knew somebody, uh, uh, we were in our, I don't know, probably mid twenties when we did it. And we brought some kids from Florida. It was the first time we'd ever done a show out there. And it was kind of, it was another process that had, it was super challenging. It was super challenging. You know, I mean, Lovell has always been an organization where, I think there's been a lot of like huge dreams about what's capable with Love Well, mm-hmm. but you know, the reality is we don't have a, and we still don't, you know, have a full-time staff of like 20 people, like figuring all this stuff out and like, you know, and doing all this work. So, you know, it was a little, it was a little, um, touch and go sometimes like the different situations, like we were kind of staying with some random people we were out in the, I mean, like, I had never been to California and I was really excited. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to like be like in LA. They're like, oh yeah, this town's adjacent to LA. I was like, wow, I can't wait to see this. We drive out there and I remember like driving up to the place where we were staying. We were doing like a homestay Uh and it was like, I don't know if you've ever been to Riverside or know anything about Mm -hmm. Riverside, but it's literally like in the country. Like there were horses (laughs) like down the street. I was like, wait, this is like, Um, yeah, but that program was super challenging. The show ended up being so cool. And one of my favorites, you know, maybe not one that was, that would be, I don't know, performed again ever mm-hmm. necessarily because it was very specific to those kids who had a super small group. Um, but it was so challenging. It was probably one of the most challenging programs I'd ever done, but the fact that we got to the end of it and we worked together as a staff, we worked with these students. I mean, we had, gosh, you know, Toby, uh, uh, Toby, uh, Nagy and, and, and Richard Cortez and, and, uh, Jacob Groton and like, uh, uh, Jeffries and all these folks who were part of it, like, you know, were very, very young during that time too. So it was, uh, Cassie Spangler did it too. Um, so like getting to see what they were capable of and how they yeah. kind of pulled it together. Like, gosh, we were all growing up together, you know, like truly like we, you know, it, it was, it was a very cool process. Good memory. And then, of course, your third favorite is Blue Moon, uh, but we don't have to spend too much time talking about oh that one. Oh, my gosh. Tyler, yes. <laughs> it is the most a show that is also one of my faves. <laughs> so um, now that you are the director of the Lovewell Catalog, what the heck is the Lovewell Catalog? That is an awesome question. Yes. So the Level Catalog has been in the works for a really long time. And I know some people have kind of maybe been more aware of it than others. Again, this is kind of a manpower thing. You know, we have all these like great ideas about ways we want to push Level and like expand. I think we've always done a great job in the past of trying to grow, but with intention. Mm-hmm. You know, we never want to be like the Walmart of, of, uh, of theater workshops, you know, like yeah. that wasn't ever the goal was to like, you know, to always be growing and always be expanding, but with, but yeah, with intention. So I think that the, uh, so the Lovell catalog is basically, um, shows that have been produced and created by Lovell in the past that have been edited, edited in the sense that like, you know, all the formatting's made correct. All of the, you know, the music is in a final form. We, you know, we work so fast. We don't always get to that point Mm -hmm. in the shows. Um, but taking some of those shows that we think kind of stand out for whatever reason, like there are shows that are super close to my heart that I've been a part of, that I've staffed, that I think are maybe not ones that would be um, maybe appropriate for the catalog because they're just very much of a time or of a group. Mm. But there's some that's 
some of the larger themes, some that just are put together in a way that it's like, man, these shows should have a life outside of just the one weekend that they're performed, you know, and then they kind of go into the, into the archives. So our idea is what if we took um, a selection of these level shows and we get them into this like reproducible form, right? All the formatting's put together, music's great, we make tracks, we do all of this stuff. And we make these shows available to performing groups, right? Whether it's high schools, whether it's uh, middle schools, whether it is, um, you know, community theater groups, things like that. And what if we give them the opportunity to perform some of these Lovewell shows? And we do it in a way that's affordable for teachers, uh, for directors, you know, the people who put these programs together who very often have little to no budget. Um, yeah, you can do something original. You can do an original piece written in the voice of the young people, you know, who, who put it together. And uh, yeah, and have another, have a great experience and give life to these shows. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the goal. So the catalog itself is, uh, is a, uh, is a website uh, and, and has a selection of shows on there. It's always growing, you know, slowly, but growing uh, of shows that are available to be produced. Excellent. And yeah, I, I love that you talked about how, um, you know, I, I've, that this Lovewell catalog has existed, whether or not it's been named the Lovewell catalog for quite some time now, this idea of taking shows that have been written by Lovewell students in our Lovewell workshops and creating opportunities for them to exist beyond that, that one weekend of performance. Um, wow. And I, you know, I'm very, very excited about this new initiative to spend more time and resources getting more shows into this catalog and getting them into more hands um, and letting students have these awesome opportunities because, you know, like you articulated, they do offer things that, that no other show could offer them with, you know, large ensemble roles, you know, when there's 30 kids writing 30 parts, they're going to be 30 yeah. good parts. It's not going to be guys and dolls and you're going to want to rip your hair out while you're watching it or performing it. Um, you know, it's, it speaks to you and, uh, it, it does create all these sort of wonderful opportunities for the students and they can hopefully connect with the material more because they, because students their age wrote the material. Um, and so it, it is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Um, and as, as you've sort of started getting scripts ready for that catalog, there is that editing process you talked about. It is formatting, it's getting the music ready, but what is the challenge of, of taking this thing that was for a very specific group of people and making sure that you honor that specific group of people while still presenting their material in a way that is accessible for other people? Um, what are the challenges that are sort of come along with editing these shows? Yeah, that's that's a great question and one that I know you're intimately familiar with too because you've worked on some of these as well. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a I think it's a delicate dance, you know, of maybe of trying to. I think our goal is to maintain the integrity of the show as it's written, right? Because there's a reason why we think it would be a good catalog show. We think it's reproducible. We think it's something that's um, that that might uh, generate interest among like a big group, you know, like a wide swath of people. So you know, we we kind of choose like that. I never would want people to be like, oh, you know, we we did this show and we think it was so great. Like, why isn't it in the catalog? You know, mm -hmm. it's some of it's just a time thing, and some of it is just because some of them just lend themselves to wider. Uh, wider reproduction than others do. You know, the ones that are really specific to a time period or really specific to, you know, the students who wrote them, the ones that are like maybe a little bit more in that kind of old school vein of, of production might not quite get there. But I think that when we're doing our editing, you know, once you find a show that you're like, yeah, this is the one, like I just worked on um, Dear Berlin. Yep. 
to get that one ready. Uh, and you know, you can't be too precious with things. Obviously, you know, there's sometimes things that are something that I found that that we almost always kind of adjust or tweak. It's just some of the inside jokes. Like yeah. sometimes there are some hilarious inside jokes in there, but it's just not going to land for anybody except the original the original cast. So, you know, we kind of modify some of that a little bit. If there's anything that feels maybe repetitive, mm. if there's something that it's like, oh, you know, we kind of did cover this. Um, what we do in three weeks or you know two weeks or however long we have is truly amazing. So there's a little bit of cleanup work to do, um, but you have to be. I mean, it's probably one of the hardest parts. I think is going to the script and deciding like kind of what stays and what goes. And I mean, we never take a slash and burn approach. I don't think where it's like get rid of it, get rid of it all. You know, like we just gotta <laughs> like really cut it back. But it's more like what makes the what is like maybe standing in the way from the flow of the show. Mm-hmm. So that's taken out, whether it's a, I mean, I would say we're more working to just massage it into a whole piece that is uh, coherent and that flows rather than like, oh, we're trying to make cuts or we're trying to like, you know, eliminate parts of it or, oh, we're going to add a bunch of stuff to it that wasn't there before. That's, that's never the goal. I mean, are there times that we do add a line here and there? Yeah, for sure. Um, Sometimes for continuity, sometimes if like two scenes get kind of like pushed together, maybe we're like, oh, this doesn't need to be really two scenes, we could probably make this one that we could make this one scene. So sometimes that'll result in a little bit of a little bit of adjustment. But I think it's like you approach it with a respect for the show as it existed when it was first produced. And then you also approach it with the the foresight of, you know, maybe from like a director's point of view where you think, what, what would I need if I didn't know this show mm-hmm. to like make it happen? Like, what, what would I need to like, you know, what, what in here uh, is maybe standing in the way of me having a successful production if I were to reproduce it as yeah, is. Yeah, and I think that it, it's it's so important that and and so fortunate that Lovewell was able to to hire you in this position, and it's a huge get for Lovewell because you understand that you understand the care that goes into these scripts, and you know that you want to respect the writers while still giving the best opportunity for a new group of students to have an incredible experience with the text as well. And uh, I think it's a, a win-win situation for sure. Um, Cause yeah. you know, nobody's going to be more emotionally in tuned to that than you are. So I think that that's a wonderful explanation of, of, of the challenges of the editing there. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a delicate dance, but I think that by, you know, letting other people take a look at, at our work, like I know you looked at Dear Berlin for me and like, you know, there, there are times when we can, you know, let other eyes get on it. And then that can give us some of the perspective if we, if we struggle. So yeah, I think that it comes from a place of total love and respect. Um, I know watching just, you know, specifically thinking about Dear Berlin, I I watched it again several times uh, before I edited it just to like kind of reacquaint myself with the specifics of the story. And I found myself like, oh my gosh, laughing and like tearing up and like all of the stuff. students, Yeah, that I hadn't seen in so long. And I don't think that's unique to Dear Berlin. You know, I think that's I think you go through that, you know, students that I would see that I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened to that? I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen her in so long. Like, I wonder what she's up to and what she's doing. Like, it was kind of a beautiful walk down memory lane. So I feel pretty lucky to be able to, to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, nothing is worse than watching theater on video. Uh, I think it's the absolute like scourge (laughs) of the earth, but for whatever reason, Lovewell shows have always been the exception for me. I love going back and watching Lovewell shows. And it, it's, it is for, yeah. it is mostly for those sorts of reasons, right? It is the, the memories that we have with the students that 
are in that moment even more so than the actual moment that is happening on stage. So it's a nice yeah, sort of sure. recontextualization. If you had everything go your way, if, if, if this was your dream situation, where do you see the Lovewell catalog in five years? I think that in a dream scenario, the Lovewell catalog becomes like totally self-sufficient. You know, maybe we add I don't know, a couple shows a year. Like, again, this isn't like the, you know, the, the catalog also will not be the Walmart of, <laughs> of licensing agencies. It'll be the target. Um, yeah, I yeah. think that the catalog would continue to grow. I think that we would be able to really do a push, like something that really drew me to the catalog initially and like doing this work uh, in, in, when Carrie was kind of describing it to me was this idea that we could promote a more equitable way for schools to license musicals yes. because- I, and I know you know about this. I mean, Jen is teacher, you know, so many of us have, have taught or have been teachers. And I think one of the most frustrating things for me was how freaking expensive it was to license a musical when I wanted to do one or a play or whatever. Um, the process was intense. You know, sometimes you couldn't get the show that you wanted because of restrictions. If you wanted to do new stuff, like very often that was challenging. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do, like you said, guys and dolls, no shade against guys and dolls. What a, what a classic, but uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to face the, some different kinds of challenges doing newer things and some of these older things, you know, it's expensive. It's, it's uh, restricted, you know, you may not have the the resources to be able to reproduce, uh, you know, a curious incident of the dog in the nighttime or something, you know, that you, that you might think you need to, to do it. Um, so I think that like in being able to say like, Hey, here is a show. It's brand new. Uh, you know, it's newish. Uh, it's written by students uh, and staff. It also has, um, it's all downloadable. You know, you can download the scripts. Like when we do licenses, it's all digital. Yeah. So you get copies of tracks, like professionally made mm -hmm. tracks. So if you don't have the money for a band, I mean, look, I love a live orchestra. I'm sure you do too. I think everybody prefers that. But the reality is in some of these smaller schools or in districts where the program is not supported, you don't have the funds to do that. You know, it's expensive. Everything costs, you know, it costs money. And if it's between that and, and your school not doing a musical, oh my gosh, like let your school do a musical and use the tracks. So our goal is to, you know, to hopefully, and definitely one of my goals is to have a little more equity in the way that schools can produce shows. Um, so I think that we would really strive to push uh, into that world a little bit more. And I would love to do some like in-school pushes, yeah. you know, once the catalog is, is up and running to be able to say like, hey, like doing more pilot programs with schools, trying to get some kids, like a school that's never done a musical to be like, hey, you know, can we come in and do a workshop here? We can give you like a super great price. Maybe we can even, you know, maybe we can even gift some licenses to schools that don't get to do musicals at all. Um, I just think the more that we can spread out these experiences, the better. Like I, I think people are just all the better for getting to have it. So yeah, so I would love to like expand in that way, just thinking about like equity and, and who gets to produce musicals and who doesn't. Um, I think we would expand that way. And I also think that we would have just a nice little network of, we would increase our visibility mm -hmm. uh, in terms of being, having a licensing arm because that's really new for Lovewell. Um, and it's extra cool because once our costs are covered, right? So uh, any any costs that we have to cover uh, in terms of like, you know, the licenses that we, that we get into with schools, like our administrative costs, things like that. Once that is all covered by the fees that the school pays, the rest of that money goes back into the scholarship yes. fund. So more kids can do Lovewell, which I think is so freaking cool. Um, 
it's uh, Carrie refers to it often as the, you know, the creative ecosystem yep. that we can kind of like on the things that we do and the things that we want to do by putting more cool stuff out there. And to me, I don't know, I'm getting like, you can't see me, but like my arms are like, <laughs> like I'm just getting about it because it's so exciting, you know? So I think that we would just keep growing in that direction. I think the more visibility we have as an organization, the more visibility the catalog has, the more licenses that we can sell. Um, it's not from like a, you know, it's not like, oh, we're going to make a million dollars. And then we all have like, you know, gold plated, um, you know, level of catalog. Yeah, we're, we're actually recording um, this on a beach right now because we're rolling in it. Man, you can't see Tyler and I right now, but we both have my videos. <laughs> Uh, but I think that, you know, just the idea that it becomes, you know, level becomes more and more, you know, and the people who've come before me and before you, I mean, everybody has worked so freaking hard to make love well, you know, more self-sufficient and, and to increase visibility. So, you know, the more of us that are pushing, the more of us, you know, the more we can get it out there. I think that it just all kind of starts to come together where we're more and more self-sufficient, more and more people know about love well, and more and more students can have this experience. I mean, that's, to me, that's just, that's the dream. So speaking of dreams, uh, if you didn't have to worry about anybody and what their thoughts would be, if it's applicable for everybody, if you could have your dream show in the catalog, that's not already in the catalog, what would it be? No strings attached. Okay. I was actually just talking about this the other day, like, in, like in a way, um, I think that we would go back and revisit one of the old, old Salina shows mm. and see if any of these have sea legs to see if we can come back to it. Cause you know, sometimes you go back to stuff that you've written in the past and you're like, wow, this was cool. Like I, you know, we did a better job than we yeah. thought we did. And sometimes you go back and you're like, you know what, this is a beautiful memory <laughs> that will live all of forever and that's okay. Uh, so maybe go back and take one of the, one of the Salina shows, you know, the first one I ever did was called state of the mm -hmm. art and it was about, I mean, this was okay. So like early mid nineties, right. This was about a kid who went to a museum and saw a painting where a little boy was like flying out of a window, was like jumping and flying out of a window, like at this art gallery, like in this small community, this little boy sees this. And then he jumps out of a window himself. And mm. then people are like, what are you bad? Um, so which might be, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's might be a more simple story, but just that idea that, you know, even as kids, you know, kids are still thinking about those bigger ideas that we think about when we, you know, when we consider art and, and things like that as adults. So I don't know, it's kind of, it would be kind of cool to see if any of those have ceilings. Yeah. And I love that idea. And I, I think uh, if you pitch that idea to Nathan Tyson, he would do, uh, he would, transcribe tribe for you all instantly he it, it consumes him that show and he has several ideas for sequels so um okay thanks tribe 2 electric boogaloo has been in the works exactly. for 20 plus years now and i think that there's no time like the present to to do it <laughs> but yeah you think one of those shows would be cool or truly you mentioned earlier blue moon but that was i mean was that the first session two was that the first first session two oh. it followed we followed Daybreak with Blue Moon. Oh, what is wow, what a summer that was. I mean, not to be that guy, but like that's epic. That was an epic duo of shows. Wow. Yeah, Blue Moon is a classic. Or we remount oh my gosh, wait, I just had another brainstorm, Tyler. What if we you know how like people you know how there's that show that's gonna be on TV where people um reunite their high school casts of like musicals? Yes like redo them maybe we should have one year maybe that's what we should do like that should be our big level gathering as we reunite the cast of i don't know blue moon and uh and we reproduce the whole thing could you imagine 
All right. So, uh, Carrie, if you're still listening, um, we're going to make that happen. So you have to do it. And Carrie, if you're not listening, if you didn't make it this far, we're just going to assume that's a yes. And Uh, All right, so we're just about done. Uh, We always like to wrap up our conversations with the same question, uh, leaving our audience uh, thinking and uh, possibly seeking something out. But what is the, the sole piece of art that you would recommend to our listeners right now? They have to drop everything and go check out this movie, this TV show, this song, this uh, musical, whatever that might be, the book, what piece of art would you give your top recommendation to right now? Man, what a, what a great question. And I love when other podcasts do this because I feel like I'm always introduced to something that I like didn't really know about before. And I <laughs> Um, well, you know, we've already discussed Bachelor in Paradise, so I won't go there again. Um, although I think, you know, everyone should probably check that out. Uh, I'm going to say one of the coolest things and best things that I have watched recently, this is an oldie, uh, but it's something that I've just come to recently. And man, if you haven't watched it, um, I have been watching since this, this, uh, this summer, I started watching Mad Men uh, while I was in, while I was in Sweden, uh, just kind of because people talk about it over the years. So yeah, so I'm going to go old school and say Mad Men because I have been taken on an emotional <laughs> journey and <in> watching <laughs> these episodes. Like I have to like take breaks in between them because they just, it just works on my heart, on my brain. I also really love the early sixties. Like I like just as an aesthetic and just as like a time period. Um, I've been really into it and John Hamm. Oh yeah. Enough said. My gosh, Don Draper, what a character. My gosh. Have you watched Mad Men? So uh, I, I I have watched a good chunk of it. Um, I, I significantly lost interest during season two, um, but then I did like some of the later episodes, but then I just sort of got full of myself and I told myself I wouldn't watch it, but I've been told I'm an idiot by many people when I tell them that. So it is something well, I've always planned yeah. to go back to. Yeah, it's a lot. And season two does slow down. I just got through season two and I was kind of finding myself at different points like, oof. But you know what I've done is I've partnered my, I'm watching it by myself. Like I started watching it by myself this summer. So like Ben and I don't watch it together. It's like something, I just like to have a show like on my own too, yes. you know, where I can just like do it when I'm, when I can go back in, that's, the, in the catalog. And that's watch She-Ra it. for me. Kimmy won't watch She-Ra with me. <laughs> Kimmy, gosh, Kimmy, <laughs> But yeah, it's nice to have something you watch on your own. But because I don't have anyone to talk with about it, because I like to talk about you know shows that we're that I'm watching, I go back and read like the Onion AV Club. They yes. did it. They had a recap of every episode, and it like reinforces some of the things I think about the episode. It like makes me think about angles or like or like picks up on patterns in the writing and things that I hadn't seen. And I do think that there. are there are ups and downs, you know, we yes. could get into one of my other favorites, which is Lost, which I had a long discussion with someone about this summer about like, <laughs> wow. But, you know, for all of its flaws, and I think that there's, you know, there's flaws in it. I think that the, I think it is a lofty goal that the, you know, that the people who write uh, and produce and, and, and direct Mad Men go for. And I think that when they don't hit it, you know, it's definitely off the mark, but when they, swing for the fences and they just go it's like when they hit it it's just so on you know i I think that it touches your brain your heart like it's just everything about it oh yeah 
I, I just, I weep when I watch that show sometimes when they really, when they really nail it. So yeah. Uh, and I think I really appreciate you bringing up the AV club because uh, for anyone listening, if that's not a website you check several times a day, uh, you you must add it to your, your bookmarks because it is always a great read, whatever they're doing there. I love it. So good. It reminds me of like back in the day, like in the eh, 2000s, like early 2000s, they had, there was a website called television without pity. Have you ever heard of television without pity? No. They used to do, it does not exist anymore, sadly, but they had some of the who people who went on to be like fantastic bloggers, like back in the heyday of blogging, but they had recappers, people who would recap TV shows uh, and like lovingly snark on some of them too, like in yes. a fun way. Kind of like a jump the that shark was, website. Yeah, yeah, totally. Where you could like read recaps of, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, any of these shows, you know, things that were on, but like, and you could get the spin of these writers that were like so funny and that had these really like unique voices. And I think AV Club does some really, really fine criticism among other things too. But yeah, I agree with you. Those websites are, are fun and it's fun to like get to read some real, uh, some, some, some good writing about uh, the big ideas of these, these great shows. I do have some breaking news for you, but Television Without Pity is still a functioning website, it looks like. Is? Uh, I'm look. Oh my god! I'm on it right now. I mean, and it's got like pretty recent shows on here. I don't know. Uh, Real Housewives wow. of New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> Another. Modern yeah. Classic. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's not working, but it is still there at the very least. So we'll have to leave that mystery for another time. Yeah, definitely. Okay, good to know. Thanks for oh, that. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it, and I know that I enjoyed it, and uh, we are all just uh, so happy to to have you working with us and spearheading this catalog. And I know personally, I'm I'm so happy to have you here and to get to work with you. Uh, you know, you've always been one of my very favorite people to work with, and it truly feels like a, a dream come true as we put this team together and as we get ready for our 30th birthday party for Lovewell next month. Um, yeah. this I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but it, it'll be before the birthday party. Um, but yeah, I just could not be more excited about the future. So thank you very, very much, and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Tyler. All of that right back at you. all for joining us for tonight's episode of Listen Well, a Lovewell podcast. Special thanks again to Jamie for joining us at Lovewell HQ for our great conversation. A reminder that there are still tickets available for all three events during Lovewell's 30th birthday bash from October 25th through the 27th, so get yours today. Be sure to subscribe and we will save your seat for next time. Until then, this is Tyler Grimes reminding you to listen well, Create well, love well. Good night. Well, 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 well,